Praise the Lord. Um, This morning's message in the book of James, I titled it, Our Patient Waiting for the Lord. I think it's a, uh, an area that um, I think in the days that we're living in right now, I think it really spoke to my heart even as I was preparing for this. We are living in days right now where our world right now is going in so many directions that are not of the Lord. It's always been that way because this is a sinful fallen world. But we know that as that day approaches and our Lord's return draws near, things will get more desperate. People will uh, even fall into uh, more and more traps uh, that our enemy wants people to fall to. One of those areas that people are falling to, a portion of the people in this world, they are falling to the lure of riches. They're falling to the temptation of being caught up into the things that they have, the things that they believe makes them satisfied in life, and they're chasing after those things even at the expense of others. My prayer uh, this morning as James gets into another subject matter is that we would soul search our hearts. That we would ask the Lord to show us where our heart is at in regards to these things. But also, are we patiently waiting in a world that is really coming apart at the seams? Are we patiently waiting for our Lord's return? And so let's open in prayer. Father, I I thank You for Your church. Lord, these are Your sheep. These are Your people. These are the ones, Lord, that You died for, that You shed Your blood for. Lord, that we might live, that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might have eternal life. Lord, we thank You for it. And Lord, I just pray that You would pour out Your Spirit upon Your church this morning that You would give us ears to hear, that You would open our our eyes to see, that You would give us that understanding, Lord, in Your Word this morning. And we know it's a work of Your Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Last week, in chapter, or in verse, excuse me, in verse 13 of chapter 4, James says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live or do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That was last week. 
It was those that would presumptuously make plans without even consulting the Lord. And we quite often fall into that trap. This week, James turns his focus upon the rich. The rich in this world, quite often, and it's really a natural thing, they are without any dependency upon the Lord. You see, riches will do that to us. Even as believers, it can, it can get our eyes off of the Lord. It can put our eyes upon our things, our material things, those things really that will fail us. But it's a temptation of the flesh when we have much to turn our eyes away from the Lord, to put our dependency upon ourselves, on the things we have, upon our bank accounts, more than our dependency upon God. Look what James says in in chapter 5, verse 1. He starts out the same way that he did in verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Self-sufficiency. Arrogant boasting about tomorrow. They should never be in the heart of a Christian. Self-sufficiency. We're to be dependent upon the Lord in all ways and in all areas of our life. But there's also the self-sufficiency and the arrogance and things that we possess. Things that quite often control our hearts and they control our minds. You see, riches in themselves are, are not bad. As a matter of fact, grace and God's riches sometimes go hand in hand in the life of a believer. That's not the issue. The issue has to do with our hearts and where our minds are at in regards to the things that we possess and the dependency that we put upon ourselves versus the dependency that's to be put only upon the Lord. Apart from You, Lord, I can do nothing should be our motto. It should be what we would say every day. Lord, I need You today. I need Your Spirit today. I can't go about my day apart from You. That doesn't always come natural. Self-sufficiency and pride and arrogance is something that really comes from our flesh that we still contend with. Remember what James said in chapter 4, verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's where I want to be. I want to be under the grace of God. I don't want to be standing and, and God resisting me because of my own pride. I want that grace. I want to draw near to God and I, I want Him to draw near to me. God's desire for us is that we would remain in complete dependency upon Him. Sometimes I don't think that sets so well with us. 
Sometimes when I, when I think about my dependency upon the Lord and my ability to quite often accomplish and do things that in my own mind, it really wasn't even with the Lord's help. I have the skill sets. I have the, the means and the ways to accomplish things in life. And we leave God out of the picture. It's dependency upon self. It's arrogance. It's pride. James says to the rich, you should weep and you should howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Instead of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency, you should be mourning as you consider the destiny that's going to come upon you. That day is coming. And I hope that we all have that in our mindset continually. The Lord is coming back. He really is. He's going to come back. And are we ready to stand face to face with the Lord? You see, in this life, mankind is often deceived by riches. He's lulled into the luxurious living lifestyle that quite often we desire to have ourselves. And it makes us proud. It makes us self-sufficient. But then the day of reckoning comes. It's going to be revealed in that time. The riches that have corrupted the hearts of mankind. It's going to be revealed in that time. His, his, it's going to be revealed even that His garments really, they're moth-eaten. His gold and silver, they're corroded and they're tarnished. And all of those things that we put so much confidence in, on that day of reckoning, it's going to be seen that they're worthless. James, in this text, he gives three things that really have no eternal value to them. There's no eternal value to these things in heaven. He speaks about food here. He speaks about clothing. And he speaks about precious metals. Something that we all acquire and sometimes we seek to acquire more and more of those things. But you see, even in those three things, there's nothing wrong with those three things. But it's when our heart begins to hoard those things, when our heart desires to to follow after and to run after those things, to have more of these things that ultimately are just going to be corrupted things in eternity, that's when it's wrong. Your storing up of your excess food is rotting. Your fine clothing that you have that you keep stored in a drawer is mothy. Your gold and your silver that's being stored It's just corroded and tarnished. This has no eternal value at all. It's just things that we possess. And the more we have, the more secure we feel. 
He says, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and you will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. It's all going to become worthless treasure, James says. These corrupted things in the day of judgment, they're going to be a witness against you, James says. Your pride will become evident. And just like a jury that is sitting there in the jury box, it's going to be a witness against you. Your earthly things are going to be burned up. And your greediness and your desire for more wealth, they're going to be a witness against you in that day. You have heaped up earthly treasure in the last days. I shared last week about our mindset as Christians. We should be living in light of eternity. We should want everything to pass through the hand of God. All of our priorities in life, the things we live for, the things we do, the places we go, they should all, and our desire should be, they should all run through the hand of God through prayer. God, what's Your will for me? I'm not the master of my life. I want You to be the Lord and master of my life. And the reason why we should know this and think this way is because so many of the things that we chase after in this life, they have no eternal value at all. In James, we keep going back to the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? James referred, I believe, and took a lot of what he wrote from those words that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. We read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, where Jesus said to His disciples, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Important words. He's speaking it to His disciples. He's warning them that there's a tendency of our flesh to want to store up things here on earth that have no value. I think we've heard this said, and I think we always need to keep in mind that there's not going to be any U-Haul trailers that are going to be pulling our stuff into heaven. There's not going to be any safe deposit boxes in heaven, nor are there going to be any banks that we can transfer our money into. It's all going to be burned up. There's not going to be any walk-in closets for you to take your excess clothes with you. We're going to be clothed in new garments in eternity with the Lord. 
in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 16, verse 19, we read about a certain rich man. We're told that he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. In other words, he was splendidly dressed in the day. And there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus, a man who was full of sores, who, had, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which would fall from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And we're told that, and being in torment in Hades, this rich man, we're told, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. You see, the day of reckoning is going to come. There's going to come a day when all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. James goes on in verse 2, giving a warning to the rich about their oppression, about their luxurious living and the cruelty that they extend towards others. Look what it says, verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath, which actually means the Lord of hosts, of that heavenly host of angels, the army of the Lord, the cries of the reaper have reached His ears. You see, there's nothing that's going on in this world that passes by the Lord that He doesn't see the injustice and the cruelty and the the fraudulent things that man does to his fellow man. He says, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. James says, you have lived for yourself. You've lived for your own gain. And you've used the poor and the needy to get what you want. And they don't even resist you because they're in fear of losing their job. They don't even resist the cruelty towards them. You've lived a life of pleasure and luxury at the expense of others. I used to go on a missions trip when I lived in California. I used to go down to Mexico. We'd go to this Indian camp 
that was down there in Mexico. It was really farmland where these Indians uh, lived in this camp. They were there to work the fields of the wealthy farmers down there. But their pay was so little, and what they made, that the owner of this land, he built a local store there, right on the camp. This local store had all the provisions and food and things that these people might need for daily living. The problem is they didn't make enough money to always be able to support their families, feed their family, clothe their family. And so what the owner would allow is for the people to come in there and to be able to take goods from the store for their family and put it on credit. And in a sense, he was holding these people as hostages to this farm. Because those people weren't allowed to leave until they had paid their debt. And that's exactly the way that he wanted it. So that he would hold them bondage to that as he was making money and they were living on very little. It was a sad situation to see. We would take clothes into this camp. We'd take food and and just try to minister to the kids and the people that were there. It made me think of it as I was reading this. It says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabah. As Christians, we're to know and be assured that any injustice that's done, we might receive from the ungodly in this life, but know this, the ungodly, and even the pain and the suffering of those that receive this kind of treatment goes, does not go unnoticed by the Lord of hosts. He sees it all. He sees the widows. He sees the orphans. He sees the poor. He sees those that are in those places. And He hears the cries. And so who are these rich that James is speaking of here? I believe that James is speaking of those who are without Christ. You see, being rich is not the problem. Some of you, and actually all of us here, by the standard of this world, we might be considered rich. But I believe James is speaking of those without Christ. And I believe that he's really leading into what we're going to get into further about encouraging you and I to be patient and persevering in a world that is full of hardship and injustice against even Christians. James first speaks to the rich. 
and gives a warning that their, their miseries are coming. And then he gives encouragement to the child of God. And he does that by giving us examples. He gives us some real examples to look to that will encourage your soul. It will encourage you in those times yourself. It will exhort us to endure in this world. We do know from Jesus' own words that riches and material possessions can be a hindrance to someone entering into the kingdom of God. We read in Matthew 19, verse 16, Now behold, one came and said to Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one, can, no one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, then keep the commandments. And Jesus said to him, and the man said to Jesus, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have, here it is, treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, we're told that he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples this, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult when we put our sufficiency in other things to humble ourselves and come before God and say, God, all that I have, everything I'm about, all that I possess and own, it's all Yours. God, I need You. And then we have the encouragement to us as Christians. Notice that he starts with a therefore in verse 7. He says, therefore be, pa- <coughs> excuse, excuse me, therefore, be patient, brethren. He's speaking to Christians. This is actually the 11th time here in James that he uses the word brethren. There's going to be three more times just in this text. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. How long are we called to endure? How long are we called as believers to be patient in this world that we live in until the Lord returns? Until the coming of the Lord? 
You see, patience here speaks of endurance. And it, it speaks of enduring under trial and testings in life. But have you ever noticed that people in this world, when things really get ugly, and they are right now in a lot of ways, that people get more and more impatient? That people get more and more on edge? You notice that just driving around. It seems like maybe, I, maybe it's just me. I think people are on edge. I think people are, are quick to lash out in the days that we're living. To be angry. People are crying out for justice. And, the, and that voice is getting louder and louder in the days that we're living. And I don't even see anything in Scripture that tells me it's going to get better. If you see something in Scripture that tells me that it's going to get better as the day approaches, let me know that. I don't see that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, I think as the day draws closer and nearer to the Lord's return, I think it's going to get darker. It's going to get more difficult. We need that endurance brothers and sisters. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Paul, in his letter to the church at Thessalonica, he said this to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. He's writing to a church that was under great persecution and suffering at the time. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and look what else he says, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of our God and Father, your patience of hope. The things that Paul had told them concerning the Lord's return and the Lord coming back. I'm sure that Paul was encouraging them, brothers and sisters, continue to persevere, endure the Lord's coming back. You see a church here that Paul is commending them that they continue to work and to labor and to be patient in the midst of trials and testings in life. He says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. And look what he says, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I've seen, I've actually witnessed, it's actually happened in my own life. When things were tough, when things were difficult, that I could have a joy in my heart in the midst of it. The joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in a Macedonian Acacia who believe. 
For from you the word of the Lord sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. These people were focused. This church was focused. These people knew where they were going, why they were here, what God had done, and that's how we should be. No matter how difficult things become in this world, God has given us what we need to endure. James wants to give these brothers and sisters some examples that might encourage their hearts. He gives them the example of the farmer. He gives them the example of the prophets. He gives them the example of Job that we read of in our Old Testament. First, he likens it to the farmer. This endurance that we're called to have, this perseverance that we're called to have as Christians. Look what he says in verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. James says, let the farmer be an example to encourage you. Any farmers here? No farmers? Let the farmer be an encouragement to you. You all know the patience of a farmer. As he has to wait as that seed is planted, He waits for the early rain that it might germinate the seed. He waits for the latter rain that it would water and bring forth fruit. He does that in patience. He does that in faith. He endures as he's waiting for that precious fruit that will come forth. As believers, we're waiting for that day. We're looking forward to the day when we're going to be in the presence of the Lord and all of the things in this life, the hardships of life, the things that will will challenge us in our endurance, are going to come to that day. Waiting patiently for that day to come. One person wrote, patience is not the ability to wait but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. To have the right heart as you endure. To be patiently waiting with the right attitude towards the things in this world as we're waiting for our Lord's return. We're living in a world that tests our patience and our endurance every single day. We're waiting for Christ's return. And I believe that one of the remedies for hardship in this life is not losing sight of that. Not losing sight of Christ's return. If it's been a long while since you've really thought about that, then I would encourage you to remind yourself quite often that the things of this life are temporary. 
The things that are going to come, they're eternal. They're going to go on for eternity. Let that be your encouragement as you persevere. Paul wrote in Romans 5.3 to Christians, he says, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. You see, it's the hard things in life that are tempering you. It's the hard and difficult and testings in life that are making you into the man or woman of God that He wants you to be. James says, in considering the patience of the farmer, look what he says in verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What's interesting to note here is that James is telling the believers in his day that the coming of the Lord is at hand. And I believe that we see in Scripture from the time of the early church, the ascension of Jesus Christ back to heaven, we see the promise of His return. And I believe that the early church was waiting in expectancy for the Lord's return. It's a state of readiness that we're to live in. We're to be patient. We're to suffer under, uh, under the hardships. We're to be patient under suffering and hardships. To be patient actually means to bear long, to suffer long, to patiently endure. The Greek word speaks of persevering patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles in life. It's being patient and bearing the offenses and the injuries that we often can receive from others to patiently endure. James says, establish your hearts, Christians. Or in other words, we could say it like this, take courage, Christians, as you endure hardships. Establish your hearts. In other words, prepare and ready your hearts for the Lord's return. That should be the encouragement to us. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let the coming of the Lord be your hope. As you consider His return, let your hearts take courage. I hope that we are able to do that. I hope that we can look at the world we live in and take courage of heart why? Because the Lord's coming back. A lot can fall down around us in this world. But the Lord is coming back. The Lord is going to return. We're going to stand face to face with the Lord. And all of the injustice in this world is all going to be brought before the judge in that day. We can leave all of it into His hands. 
We can stop talking about all the things so much. The tendency is to want to talk about this wicked world and our government and everything in it. Someday they will all stand before the Lord. James says, consider the farmer, how he waits for that precious fruit. Are you waiting? Are you waiting in perseverance? James also says in verse 9, do not grumble against one another. And notice he says it again, brethren. He's talking to us as Christians. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, and again he says, the judge is standing at the door. What came into my mind is, is kind of like you're in that courtroom and the man or the officer says, everyone please stand. And that judge walks from behind that door to his bench. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's something that should grab our attention as Christians. That we're living in a world, we're living in a fallen world, and all of those things that are of injustice, they will stand before God someday. It's nearer than when we first believed. But have you ever noticed that the tendency of our flesh is that when things get tough, people begin to grumble and complain. Is that you or I? Where we begin to grumble and complain because we're getting pressed by all these things that are going on around us. To be a a grumbler, a complainer. He says, brethren, lest you be condemned. I think times of hardship do that. I think hearts become harder in those circumstances. Grumblers and complainers, they grow during these times. But it shouldn't be said about a child of God. It shouldn't be said of us. Lest you be condemned in doing the same thing that those that don't know Christ do. Lest we get caught up into doing the same thing. We need to remember that whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know that? We will all stand before the judge someday. Not maybe to your condemnation of separation from Him, but you will stand before the judge and He will judge everything that we have done in this life, whether it's good or bad. And you will suffer or have reward or loss of reward in that day. Judgment must begin with the house of God. 
And if it starts with us, then what's going to be the end of those who obey not the Gospel? Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read it to you in the New Living. I like the way it, it read. 1 Peter 4.14, he says, So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or pain, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment. And if it must begin with God's household, and if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless sinner? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. I like that. The second example that we see in verse 10 is the prophets. He says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. If you want to just spend time reading Hebrews chapter 11 towards the end of that chapter, you'll read about what we call the no-names. There's a list of no-names at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. The people that even didn't make it into Hebrews 11 with their name written in, though there were others that did. But the no-names, the ones that suffered greatly for the cause of following God. The prophets that didn't stop. They didn't stop speaking forth the truth. And even in the face of suffering and persecution, their testimony continued. They endured. And then we sit and we read Hebrews 11 and we're told, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. How many of you have read somebody's biography of somebody that has suffered at the hands of man for the cause of Christ. And when you're all said and done, when you're all done reading, you go, man, that blessed my heart to see this man or this woman endure through much suffering. What an example to me. What an encouragement to see somebody that would endure in the midst of suffering. That's what James is wanting us to see. The prophets endured. God calls you and I to do the same. Jesus, back in that Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verse 11, He says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for My sake. Rejoice, Christians, I'll add, 
and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those are Jesus' words to his disciples. I'll read to you Hebrews 11.36. Listen to this. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, of chains and imprisonments. This is what happened to these prophets. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. When I read that and I read of these men, that just convicts my heart. That they would just continue on in spite of it. The third example that James gives is Job. When's the last time you've read the book of Job? You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Christian suffering and the example of Job. I think few have suffered like Job, but God allowed it. And James here himself, who suffered himself much for the gospel's sake, he says, consider Job. As Job was wanting to give him as an example to you and I, It was an example to James himself. Consider Job. How God allowed him to suffer greatly. Everything that happened to Job, we know from Scripture, had to pass through the compassionate and merciful hand of God. All of it. James says to his brethren, be encouraged with this example. Let it encourage your own life. Let it be an encouragement to your own endurance, your perseverance. And know that God has an intended purpose in your own life. Do you know that? That everything that has, happens in your life, it has to pass through the compassionate and merciful hand of God. And then when God allows it to come your way, He has a, an intended purpose in your life. He's going to use the trials and the sufferings of life to your benefit, to grow you, to prepare you for the day when the Lord returns, for the day when you stand before the Lord. You're a work in progress. 
And God has chosen these things in life sometime to fashion us for that day. Consider Job and the sufferings that he endured. But at the end of Job's life, or at the end of this this time of testing, we read in Job 42 verse 2, this is what Job said. He says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Job had confidence in his God. You can do everything. And there's no purpose of yours that can be withheld from you. He has a plan and a purpose in all that He allows to come your way. He also said in 42 verse 12, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. Isn't that interesting? The latter days, more than the beginning. You see, there is a real blessing that comes in the life of a servant of God that endures and runs the race, runs the course. As Paul was ready to have his head laid down on that shopping block, he had finished his race. He was ready to go into eternity. And in Paul's mind, it was all worth it. Is it worth it to us? James gives a final exhortation in verse 12 in light of the fact that we will all one day stand before Him. He says, brothers and sisters, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath But let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Again, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to His disciples in Matthew 5.33, He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by earth, for it's His footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You see, as Christians, we should be people who don't need to swear an oath. We don't need to to swear by this or say this to make people believe the words that we're saying. That they're true, that they're accurate, that you're a person of integrity. What you say you mean. When you say yes, it's yes. When you say no, it's no. A simple yes and a simple no should all be what we should be able to answer a person. You have an integrity as a Christian. 
Isn't it wonderful if somebody says that of you? I know when so-and-so says they're going to do this, do that, be here, do this, it's done. Or if they say no, they're not, it's not going to happen. It's an issue of integrity. It's an issue of the words that we would speak. Do they have weight to them? in the ears of people that hear you speak. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. So simple. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to finish James. I've enjoyed the journey. It's been convicting to me. I've had to study through it, and then I have to get up here and tell you what I've learned. And I hope that it's having an effect on you. Look back on the studies if you've missed any of them. Look back, or go to our website, you can see all the studies in James. Let God have His way in you as you pick up this book of James and maybe reread it after we finish it. You can straight read it and probably 20 minutes. Read it just like James just sent the letter to your post. And then see if the Lord won't bring to your remembrance things that you had learned from this letter. It's powerful. Let's have the worship team come up. If you're here today and you're in need of prayer, we'll have somebody up here. There'll be people up here that can pray with you. Come up. Come up for prayer. Just say, hey, I need some prayer right now in this area. And let people pray for you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then come on up. Some people pray with you here to receive the Lord. Make sure you're ready to stand before the Lord in that day. And the only way for you to do that is to say yes to Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, come in. I believe in the death of Jesus Christ. I believe what He did on the cross paid the penalty for my sin. I believe that they put Him in the tomb and that He rose again on the third day. And He's alive today and He's coming back. If you believe and confess those things with your mouth and you believe those things in your heart, you can be saved. And so I encourage you to come forward for salvation if you don't know for sure that you are. And so let's all stand and... Let's uh, let's close in worship.